Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast, and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode eight, and I'm joined by Nathan Rothschild. Nathan is a co-founder and partner of Genius Tech Group. Genius Tech partners with the likes of Riot, Ladbrokes, and DraftStars to provide innovative and engaging content. Nathan talks about his business, the rise of big data, and how he entered the sports data and technology world. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback and potential guests you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy my chat with Nathan Rothschild. So Nathan, why don't you start by going into your background a little bit um, about how you sort of got into the industry and where it all started for you. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, probably got uh, a fairly interesting background that um, always been a mad sports fan. That's because I had no sporting ability at sort of five foot five. I wasn't, um, certainly wasn't cut out for any contact sport, but as a kid and where my, um, I guess, passion for both sport and numbers started was the old AFL scoreboard back when your dad was playing that I learnt my six times tables um, very quickly uh, following the the AFL scoring system where you get six points for a goal. Um, and, you know, as I'm quite a very passionate fan of the uh, Carlton Football Club, um, you know, then went through um, high school, always liking maths and generally being pretty good at it. Um, and then sort of went through uni, did a maths degree there along with a commerce degree, so Bachelor of Science majoring in maths and stats. And during this time, I played a little bit of online poker. So that was my foray into the wagering world. Um and certainly actually learned a lot through that, although I, I really did it just for fun. Um, a lot of life lessons came out of that. Uh, certainly a lot of um, a lot of information about the wagering sector uh, came out of sort of my time doing that. Um, then went into business uh, probably about eight or nine years ago, probably actually about eight years ago, um, doing sort of various things. To be honest, as an entrepreneur, I was really just finding my way. Um, and didn't know a whole lot about business at that stage. That been given some exposure um, as a kid um, to you know various things, but you know in terms of really jumping in at the deep end, that happened probably about eight or nine years ago. Um, and from there, um, you know, I was really trying to find, I guess, what I was passionate about. That I probably the business that I was involved in had the most traction was um, a business called Sports Grab. So it was like a flash, a flash sale site for sporting goods. So. Generally, sporting goods are quite expensive here in Australia, and it was it was an Australian-only business, so there was an opportunity to come in and essentially um, operate at lower margins and sell goods at a lower price. Uh, but to be honest, wasn't all that passionate about selling, you know, Nike runners at forty percent off and then doing the packing and everything else. So I really pretty much did everything there. Um, Two thousand and twelve, um, met a couple of guys who were a few years younger than me, Jared Hopping and Brett Cosgriff, and um they were giving out free tips for the brownlow medal on facebook so for the anyone out of australia who wants to know what the brownlow medal is that's the um best and fairest award for australian rules football and certainly jake you'd know um what the uh brownlow medal was especially yes. i think it was at 90, 94 and 86 if i have my uh, maths correct that's correct yes it's part of the yeah. family yes so um and you know through that but the social following grew very quickly so they um went from naught to 10,000 likes on Facebook in a matter of weeks. 
And yeah, I guess um, instead of doing it for free, there was a realization that there was a commercial opportunity. We then um, went to headhunt the best tipsters we could find. You can imagine that um, the majority of um, sports pundits in a wagering sense probably, and with all due respect, aren't that sophisticated. So um, we need to sort of sift through that and actually find, find some quality. I think we were able to, well, I know we were able to do that. We had some very sophisticated guys come on board and sort of 2013, our business model was uh, we went selling tips um, and sporting information online. But one thing that became really apparent as we grew in our social following is now over 1.2 million on Facebook um, is that people wanted sports data. So um, the general fear was that sports data, it wasn't particularly insightful, particularly at a wagering level. So you know, information around betting markets, there wasn't a lot of that. Um, that sports data online had a really poor user experience. Even if there was some decent information out there, it was really hard to navigate. And that also led to the problem that sports data was fragmented, that it was a little bit all over the shop. Um, so we were looking to um, solve all those problems. We conducted a lot of market research because we did have a large social following because, you know, I've been a lot of media where I've said this, but what I think is a, a good sports data solution is irrelevant because, one, I'm a sample size of one, and two, I'm certainly not a litmus test, <laughs> but that will probably um, come out through the course of this discussion. So... Um, you know, we, we um, used our social following to our advantage and made sure we had a good cross-section of people and found out the sport of, sort of sports data they wanted, um, how they wanted the sports data presented. And we actually, you know, from really the start of 2014, um, you know, uh, commenced the build of this platform, which is known as iSport Genius. Um, so it really took two years to, to build the platform, 14 and 15. The end of 2015, we did a deal with um, Ladbrokes, who were our first major client. Um, and that was really exciting because a lot of hard work had got in up until that point and then, you know, Ladbrokes, which in terms of a global wagering brand, they are, you know, right up there in terms of prestige and, and reputation. So that was, yeah, that was a really big win. Um, and a couple of, uh, a couple of drinks may have been had, um, when we achieved that. So, um, we went live with Ladbrokes the start of 2016. So they've white labeled the platform as InfoHub, um, and sort of worked alongside um, their CEO, Dean Shannon, who, who only recently left, but is just a fantastic bloke and was amazing to work with. Um, and also the rest of their product team, really everyone there. Um, in terms of first client, we um, weren't sure, you know, what it was going to be like to work with them, but it, it was, the experience was really 10 out of 10. Um, so we're very grateful on that front. Um, and then uh, about a week later, I hopped on a, a plane to ICE, um, which was my first European winter ever um unfortunately it isn't my la <laughs> wasn't my last i think there are many more to come so sort of getting off um you know out of Tullamarine was probably 30 degrees um local uh, you know the local temperature and then land in london it was probably about zero and it was cold and miserable um and that was um that was really quite experience quite an experience and sort of suffered quite badly from um from jet lag on that first trip that you're sort of going back in time there's 11 hours time difference between a melbourne summer and a london winter um and that was the first first sorry the first of my four trips to europe last year so 2016 i did a lot of travel and that was a really about growing the brand i was speaking at a lot of conferences um so yeah, it was quite lucky to be invited um to speak you know on a whole range of topics but um it always came back to sports data um so and there's also a fair bit of domestic travel um so i spoke at a global regulators conference in sydney as well and and that was in November last year. And that was a really interesting one and really quite a, a funny um, story about how I ended up speaking there because 
was speaking in April at Stamford Bridge, so Chelsea um, in the EPL there, home ground, and it, it was a sports data talk. And I basically hadn't got off stage. I was on a panel with a few other guys, and this, you know, reasonably mature gentleman um, came up to me and he goes, Nathan, I'm the director of the UK GC. Um, I've just had words with your solicitor. I need to speak to you immediately. And um, I thought, oh, I'll leave out the expletives. But safe to say I was a little bit worried about what was actually going on, was sort of half expecting to be arrested. Um, and the guy now jokes, um, his name's Nick Toffolet, but um, I went wide in the face. But he, he was very quickly to assure me I'd done nothing wrong. He was helping to organise this conference um, in Sydney in November and he'd like me to speak. Um, and actually, and I did that. I met some fantastic people. So it was, in terms of international representation, by far the most diverse group of people I've ever spoken to. I'd say there was between three and four hundred people there from, I believe, thirty-eight different jurisdictions. There were people from Botswana, there from South Africa, from Canada. Um, had a commissioner from the Nevada Gaming Commission. Um, you know, there. Um, it was just, it was just incredible. And yeah, you know, there's a bit of downtime just to get to know some people in a more informal space. And that was, um, I, I just like meeting people from different backgrounds, from different parts of the world and, and just trying to get some insight and have general discussion with them. So it was amazing on that front. Um, and that then really took us to the end of 2016. And somehow we're now, you know, almost the middle of the year in 2017. Um, we have, you know, announced that we've secured Unibet as a client, which is um, fantastic because that's not just in Australia. So that's our foray into the UK and potentially, you know, continental Europe. So we're, we're pleased about that. We also just released um, a new product we built for DraftStar. So that's Australia's largest DFS site. Um, and that's a, a joint venture between Crown, Seven West Media and Fox Sports. They've got some news corp behind them. Um, and again, very good team to work with. And we sort of found all the, you know, we've also um, announced a deal with Riot Games that we've been live with for, for six months. So that's our foray into esports as, you know, I guess another channel of expansion that our business is experiencing. And and one thing we've found with all the, the clients that we work with, that they're actually really good people. And I don't know whether that just is by luck or perhaps um, something else, but we have a lot of fun with what we do. So I think we're known to work incredibly hard, um, but we're also having a lot of fun in the process. And I think that's really important that, and it's probably really hard to actually work so hard if you're not enjoying it. Um, and that also comes down to who you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. As I said, the guys at LADS, um, very professional, but very good to work with, very fair. Um, and, you know, that relationship should continue for many years to come. Um, they've come out publicly on um, the CEO and said, you know, that the platform um, is performing really well. Um, so that's all you get out of me in the public domain. But, uh, you know, you can Google that and it is there. I mean, uh, InfoHub's been mentioned a number of times in when lab breaks, they obviously being listed in London, they need a report to the London Stock Exchange. So InfoHub's got a few mention, mentions there if anyone wants to Google some old... Um, all reports to the share market. Um, or likewise with, with Unibet, that what we're working on them at the moment, um, both, you know, we deal with them both in Australia and in London, some really good guys um, who are just, they're just nice people, um, I think, which helps a lot. But they're very switched on and they're just fun to work with. Um, Draft Dars as well, we've we'll dealt with, um, you know, the CEO Matt Sanders and their head of product, Richard Lockery, who um, I don't know if he's, he'll ever be out there listing, Richard, we joke that him and... Uh, one of my business partners, Jared Hopping, that they're, they're a little bit of an item um, because they speak to each other about five times a day. But um, that's actually, it's, it's quite fun. It's actually a really exciting product and something a bit different there that we've built for them, that it's a, you know, DFS, it's a really interesting um, topic and one no doubt being, you know, based now in New York that you've got a fair bit to, um, 
you know, fair bit to talk about in your own views, but, um, you know, it, it's just what we're doing there is essentially helping people um, create and submit a DFS lineup pretty much instantly, but still having that backed by the data and the research. So um, <laughs> I haven't shown you yet, Jake, but I'll need to show you what it actually is, but it's pretty cool and you should um, see that product reasonably soon in markets just outside of um outside of draft hours in australia so so that's pretty good so um yeah <laughs> it's right that's a, a very i think i would talk for about 10 minutes straight there that's a, a fairly uh, rambling story as to um you know what my background is um and you know how we got to where we are today and i guess what where who our clients are and perhaps some of you know the um the avenues of expansion that we're you know not just looking to explore, but I think a, a little bit more mature than that. Certainly, you know, with um, with Riot, where they're um, you know, reputationally really good for us to to be um, dealing with them. Uh, really good brand. I'm um, very professional guys, but also you know the the deal there is they're the um the makers of League of Legends, and um, as I was actually just talking about last week, um, that 33 million people I believe watched Game Seven of the NBA last year, and 43 million people essentially watch the grand final of League of Legends in, um, you know, in, um, I guess, Aussie parlance when they call it the grand final. So, you know, to say that's 33%, sorry, 30% or 33% more popular than, um, than um, you know, game seven of the NBA, that is, um, that's really saying something. And, you know, I think esports is um, growing incredibly rapidly, but it's still a, a quite an immature market. And obviously, by, just about by definition, um, a lot less mature than traditional sports, um, given it hasn't been around very long. But, um, we're, you know, pretty keen um, on, you know, some of the exciting opportunities we have there. And, um, you know, right, certainly, um, you know, it's quite helpful um, going down that path. So what is it that you actually sell to? You mentioned Ladbrokes and Draft Stars and Riot. Do you have a universal product that you offer these uh, these brands and partners of yours? Or do you have tailored solutions based on what the customers, oh, sorry, the, the client's needs are? Yeah, Um We've got, we've got it. First of all, we've got, I guess, a number of products, but I think everything is really customized to what the, um, you know, what the end user and the client wants. So, for instance, InfoHub with Ladbrokes, it's not going to be um, what you see on Unibet, for instance. That it comes, I guess, from the same structure and the same sort of insights, but it's going to be presented quite um, differently. So, um, and that's you know all based off iSport Genius. So. That's what we call our flagship product. Um, it, it's our biggest product. Um, what we've built for um, Riot Games, that was a custom tipping platform for esports. So, you know, um, the level engagement with esports is, it's, it's incredibly high um, and it's fantastic to see. So, um, and tipping's a great way to engage them because um, it's just an effective tool. So um, we went and we've built something custom for Riot um, and that's been really good, had a good uptake. Um and then, um, you know, the Draft Stars product, well, you know, it's what Draft Stars essentially white-labeled um, and called it as Quick Draft. That is said, that's um, something quite different to iSport Genius. Um, that is that it helps um, users. Basically, what they can do is they can select, um, you know, five or six factors. Um, it allows the user, they can decide how important each of those five or six factors is. So it's a sliding scale of one to ten. And, you know, it takes them ten seconds to do. They click on generate a lineup, and then a lineup is you know, literally instantly generated based on their preferences of categories they think are important. So um, it's still allowing the user, you know, to be empowered to a fair extent that, you know, they've got, you know, some input. It's very much a personalised lineup, but it's generated instantly. Um, and there's, you know, a fair, well, there's a heap of data behind it. Um, and then if, you know, they really want a, 
like literally without even thinking we, we can generate uh, mystery lineups and, and there's some other side functionality around that that you might go or right, I need to pick up nine players there are only two that I know I should get because they're good but help me fill up the last seven so you can anchor two players so they're locked in and then we build an optimized lineup um, around those to fill up the seven remaining players so yeah, I mean, look, it's all data related. I mean, and even the, the tipping stuff we've done with right, you know, there's gamification elements there where if you get a, a certain number of tips right, um, you know, you clear gaming levels, we'll call them. Um, so kind of like little challenges. Um, and that's pretty cool. But it's a lot of it very much comes back to data, which is both my, my background and my passion and probably more importantly, something that's becoming increasingly important, both in terms of front-end consumer engagement and um you know back-end um optimization um depending on which industry we're talking about but i mean everyone talks about now that um even the big businesses like facebook they're they're referred to now as data companies because the amount of data they've got on their consumers so i think um anything in the data space um is going to be really valuable so um yeah pretty cool stuff so is iSport genius then the brain and that powers all of your white label solutions or other solutions uh, no, so iSport Genius will power the white labels of iSport Genius. So iSport Genius um, powers uh, InfoHub, it will power the UDBet Stat Center, which um, will be um, released shortly. But in terms of, I guess, um, what we've done with Riot Games, there's no connection um, there other than perhaps um, obviously some of the thinking and lessons we've learned, um, you know, will probably come out in just the way. I think we, as a business, we continue to learn from our experiences. So We'll always try and improve products that we build. And again, I fancy genius. It's quite different. It's very, um, it's fantasy orientated. So it's at the player level and very much um, related to fantasy point scoring. So it's actually quite different um, to iSport Genius. But I guess they are both sports data, um, you know, spin-offs or solutions. Uh, but yes, yeah, certainly, no, iSport Genius doesn't power iFantasy Genius. But it, it probably will, iSport Genius, sorry, probably will power um some new initiatives um, in the not-too-distant future. You mentioned Jared and Brett uh, in their early days were putting some some tips on social media. That's clearly an innovative way uh, if you have you know an edge or a positive expectation value offering to people for free, essentially, on social media. Based on your further market research, why do you think there's not a, you know, a depth and breadth of impressive and innovative tipsters out there is it just because they don't want to give up the information they have or is there other reasons why do you think because certainly uh in the u.s where i live now you sort of notice a large void between the the very very good which you can't get any information from you know they exist and then you've got this sort of uh dark world of gambling twitter and a few other places where there's websites with poor information uh there's no real verification nothing's too constant and it's sort of a a murky sort of landscape is that sort of similar across the market research you did all around the world yeah um and it's not just the market research just what we experienced you know when um you know we had a division essentially focused on that was that um there anyone can produce a sporting tip um and one of the challenges we found when we were doing it was that there was a heap of data science um behind what we were doing um and, you know, there was third-party assistance for that. And we, to be honest, we spent a lot of money doing that. But one of the challenges was actually convincing people because all you're sort of serving them up is a tip that so much effort had actually gone in. And um, the reality is that if you're going to beat the market, you're only doing it by, you know, a couple of percent on turnover, um, which is – and that's really smashing the market. So um, you combine that with a lot of people just claiming they've got um, – 
a far more successful record but, than what they do. And I think setting really unrealistic expectation. Um, that was, um, you know, that's where I guess you know the the dark holes are uh, and all that sort of stuff. So it was it was tricky. Um, and generally, um, it was just a challenge. It, it was hard for us, sort of, um, you know, differentiating ourselves between, um, I guess you called the one man band. Um, you know, spouting out whatever they like to, um, you know, via digital distribution channel. And you're right, there are some very sophisticated and very good tipping services out there. They're not all bad, but the majority, um, the majority are probably questionable. Um, and it's not always, at least initially, that easy to tell the difference. So that that was an ongoing battle for us. Um, and I think to be honest, we're we're even more passionate about what we're doing now um, because we're providing, you know. Different punters, they want different levels of sporting information. Some, you know, and then there's some who, you know, just want to not do any research and purely put down a tip, you know, instantly, and that's fine. And then sort of beyond that, it's almost a sliding scale of the level of information that punters want, but most want at least some level of information now. So we're trying to build a solution. We think we've done it at least reasonably successfully is serving up as much content as the user actually wants. That's about, I guess, a semi-personalized experience, but if we call um, our solution tiered and layered, so someone who's at the relatively unsophisticated end of the spectrum in terms of their demand for data, they'll only get, you know, 5% of our offering and then it scales right through to, you know, those who want to know how um, the Cleveland Cavaliers have performed for the last five years um, against the spread playing as a favourite at night coming off a three-day break when they've travelled less than 300 miles um, and a whole lot of other factors. So we've got all that. And that's really, you know, the spectrum from, all right, what's, you know, perhaps their ATS record for the last five games through to the last five years with all those all those filters. So what happens to all the smart and sophisticated people who are coming through university, they're mathematicians, they're engineers, they're all sports fans too. They're all interested in the data and the information and applying that to markets. Do they all just get lost to Wall Street and other industries? Um. No, um, I think they will. A lot of them, hopefully, will will follow their passion. And certainly, um, you know, the finance industry will swallow up some uh, very sophisticated quants. They already do, and they'll continue to do that. Um, and the sophisticated quants who do well, um, they'll financially be rewarded quite nicely for that. Um, are sophisticated quants going to end up in sports modelling? Yes, because I know of some already doing it. I mean, look, beating the market, it is. Not easy, and we start looking at sort of NFL and NBA main lines. We're talking about sort of seriously efficient um, markets, so it becomes a challenge. There are, I'd say, you know, the Australian markets are well, they're relatively um, less efficient than sort of AFL and NRL. Um, so that you know, you know, I guess um, a lack of efficiency creates opportunity for someone who can model things more efficiently. So you know, that's um, that's interesting. So. I mean, but how many people, um, you've got to be really passionate about this. I've never met a successful sports modeler who isn't obsessed with what they do. Like, And I'm talking about um, the sort of level of obsession that if a, a medical professional was to have a look at them, they'd um, want to call them back for a second appointment. So, um, yeah, I would uh, I would say there will certainly be quants as they're going in, but um You've got to be really passionate. So I'm not sure how many that will be because it, to us, it's, I think a lot of people probably start um, and get their teeth stuck into it, but they they don't have the level of passion to sustain their you know commitment to essentially 
building out perhaps a fully fledged model. So that, that's where the obsession comes in to drive it to that that level of commitment where you can hopefully actually come up with something, um, you know, sophisticated because you've got to come up with something really sophisticated to really to beat any market with any sort of liquidity. So the sports modelers and the quants and these type of mathematicians, do you prefer or do yours have active knowledge of the sport and the games and the markets or are they purely on a mathematical basis and they don't want to be influenced by those other flak- those other factors that may sometimes be subjective? Yeah, um, the, I think some level of um, sporting knowledge is always helpful because you need a, a little bit of a framework, but um, I've heard the saying too many times that the numbers don't lie. So, you know, when we've seen stuff come through and go, oh, that doesn't, um, that doesn't look too crash hot. Um, but the reality is that's true that the, um, the sports modelers say, well, whatever they put into their model, that um, when something is spat out, they will always back it. So it's quite an objective um, way of doing things. I mean, so there's some subjectivity going into the model build, but beyond that, there is a, you know, I guess a, an output that is um, hopefully devoid of human emotion, which um, which should be an advantage. So you mentioned numbers don't lie. I've spoken to a couple of people about this in the past. Um, they've mentioned that if they have their system and their model and their strategy in place and something is coming out which they don't necessarily understand from the watching the game point of view or, or watching the market point of view, but they trust their system, they will continue to bet knowing they have an edge, not even knowing what that is necessarily because there's so many different variables that go into it. Do you fall into that camp where you will press forward with something even if you don't fully understand it necessarily? Yeah, well, we don't um, we, we do not do the betting tips anymore, but um, in terms of when we did that, yeah, at the end of the day, that if the, you know, if a tip was generated and all the indicators um, pointed to this being um, a tip that had a positive expectation, um, it would go ahead because... Um, there are so many different into a good bowl. There are so many different factors that go in that you simply need to, um, you know, you can't in a sense reverse engineer exactly why it's done what with so many, you know, interacting factors. So you, you just have to rely on the tip because otherwise, um, you know, at that level of subjectivity that comes in, which I don't think is um, is a good thing if you're going down the data science route. So you're obviously not betting, but if I don't know if this question necessarily applies, but if you have sort of knowledge of where your model uh, likes certain situations or likes certain teams or games or, or whatever it might be, do you then, once the tip comes out, think, okay, I know this situation is, is positive because of, you know, it might be, you know, Cleveland um, after LeBron has had less than 15 points uh, is a very positive situation and maybe uh, spinning out often in your model. Do you then have any type of, you know, feeling that this is, right or correct or do you just leave it up to the numbers every single time and don't have any other further influence on that yeah well again um in a sense that what we do you know we're talking about all those factors you know how the the caps perform after the last you know for the past sorry five years playing you know our home as a favorite or at night after traveling a certain distance um etc etc that that is um that's sort of just a objective um historical performance of you know, what's occurred, and that's what we do now, and that's like quite different. So we actually don't do any of the subjective predictions and the tips um, anymore, um, which uh, as I said, I think we're, well, I know that we're we're quite happy about that. We're certainly far more passionate relief, about I imagine. what we Yeah, uh, well, it's, um, it's certainly created some interesting um, sports events that we got to watch with, um, you know, where, we, where you really would rail an outcome quite heavily. Um, but certainly that, um, you know, 
as I said, that we would, um, yeah, if the model would say something, then then that's what we'd stick to. Um, in the early days, I think we tried tinkering with that and it didn't work. So it was just, um, yeah, I mean, you'd always review and assess, but um, yeah, you, w- you would have to stick with um, what the model was producing. So you mentioned poker earlier. Did you play seriously at all or was it just for recreational purposes and you enjoyed the game? Uh, it was for it was recreational. Um, <clears throat> sorry, but I um, I did certainly you know had a lot of fun doing it. I used to play from my bedroom, um, playing a few tables at once in my dressing gown. So um, and I did reasonably well out of it. But it was always um, it was always for fun, and making a few bucks was just a, a side benefit. Um, but yeah, I never took it. Um, perhaps as seriously as, you know, I didn't, um, as I could have, um, because, and then when it basically, I stopped playing when it, I sort of go, I'm not really having much fun anymore. So, um, yeah, that's a, a pretty unexciting uh, answer to that question. <laughs> okay. And so back to the business, are you only B2B? Is that how you see yourself and treat yourself? Or are you thinking about it on a more large scale B2C way when you're approaching your decision making? Yeah, um, so look, at the moment we're um, B2B, we'll be releasing some B2C stuff in the fantasy space. Um, again, in the, as my favourite phrase, in the not-too-distant future, it gives some sense of urgency without actually telling anyone when it's actually going to be. Um, so, you know, I think there's some, certainly some B2C um, possibilities there um, because there's different things. You can actually do it perhaps even complement the, the relationship you've got with um, your clients. You can actually, you know... Um, you know, add another layer to that and improve things. So, you know, there might be an opportunity there. But at the moment, um, yeah, I mean, the main focus is servicing, you know, what are some pretty um, some pretty significant clients at the moment. So internally, how do you deal with trends? Obviously, you're on the data side and you've got um, a lot of different variables which you can provide to clients which may point to a certain direction, whether it's a play or a game or a, things like that. Obviously, the human mind likes to see trends because it's a it's a shortcut and if we see something happen six seven eight nine ten times in a row we're more likely to believe that that's a positive thing but they can be dangerous and they can lie to us and they can be you know unnecessary or not so useful so do you have any ways certainly on the i guess the prediction or the analyst side before the game where you can curate those trends or do you just leave it purely objective and let the I guess the consumer who will go to Riot, go to Draft Stars, go to Ladbrokes and those different places to get your information and let them deal with yeah. it. Yeah, no, we keep it strictly objective. Um, that way, um, you know, there's no doubt. I mean, and that's um, when we're talking about keeping things objective, one of the the really big areas of focus within our business is on data accuracy. So we produce some really deep insights um, about sport, but those insights aren't deep if your data's wrong. So we spend a heap of time cleaning data, analysing it in terms of its, you know, fit for purpose. Um, and um, part of that is, you know, ensuring everything that we serve up is accurate. As soon as you get into subjective, well, clearly um, you could be um, serving up stuff that's incorrect. So we don't do sort of anything that's subjective. Um, and probably one thing I should make really clear that we've got an entirely separate division servicing right because they're um, a very anti-gambling um, establishment. And that's completely fine. And as I said, they're amazing to work with. But we certainly, that's partitioned off from anything we do in the wagering space uh, for various reasons. So you certainly won't find any um, any wagering information on on the tipping website, that's purely a, you know, there's no um, financial transaction there, but you, a user just comes and they, um, you know, tip for 
they tip for fun and there's a few in-game bonuses um, that they get if they tip well. And, you know, that's um, a surprisingly um, significant inducement to actually get people to, um, you know, to tip some the prizes that are on offer. So that's, um, yeah, that's really good. Yep, okay. And then, so how does... Obviously, there's you know certain buzzwords out there, whether it's fan engagement and things like that. How does that drive your business? Are you purely looking at those type of things, whether it is fan engagement, and obviously you see the numbers with with esports and you see the the demographics and those type of things. I think someone joked recently to me that um, you know esports is the the Bitcoin of currency. Everyone knows it's there and it's exploding, but they don't know what to do with it necessarily. How does how does fan engagement drive your business and is the data enough um, to be a long-term partner for these, the riots and the Ladbrokes and the draft stars of the world? Yeah. But, um, in terms of everything we do, it's, you know, the customer is the, the focus, um, and really the sole focus and it's all about engaging them. So whether it's with a, a riot, which isn't that, you know, that's a, a tipping platform, but it's about providing a great user experience, whether it's a, a Ladbrokes, or a draft stars or a uni bet where it's still all about actually engaging the consumer. And we found that data, you know, that there is a massive demand for sports data out there. Um, and that absolutely is a factor that's big enough to retain engagement um, with consumers. Um, but it's not just about raw data that why we are doing well and why we've, you know, been able to maintain high levels of engagement is. It's the user experience. So we come back, I guess, to the start of the interview and the qu- and the problems that we found when we were researching the market. You know, poor user experience, poor insights, um, fragmented. So we were able to bring all the data into one spot, um, give it a really nice user experience, but off the back of that, generate some really interesting insights. So, you know, when you're generating things of interest, that's the definition of engagement. You're going to engage people if you're producing in, um, engaging content. Sorry, you're going to engage people if you're producing interesting content. Um, and that it's able to, um, you know, people actually able to make use of that information. Um, and that's about having it all in one spot. So, um, you know, it's about consolidating what was, you know, a fragmented space. So, um, no, raw data on its own, that won't be enough to, um, to maintain consumer engagement. But if you, you know, present it really nicely with, and what you're presenting itself is of a really high quality, um, I think the demand for that, it's already very much established but it will continue to grow even further as time goes on so speaking a little bit more generally now uh, are there any current or emerging trends that you're seeing or focusing on you know heavily obviously there's uh certain sports and games and things like that but more in general terms whether it be you know uh use of you know handheld devices and mobiles or second screen experiences and positional data for football for example in europe or soccer where they have you know the tracking information on players. Are those are any of those sort of sticking out as something for the future? Yeah, um, well, certainly we've seen, um, and it's sort of quite well known that in the European market, that up to eighty percent of bets are taken on mobile, and so that's you know part of the second screen experience as well, um, as well as the obviously the portability of a mobile device. So um, it's hard to ignore that. So I guess um, then to link back to how that impacts our business is that. Everything we design now is mobile first. So we do the mobile design first because mobile is always more challenging to design, you know, with less space. Um, you know, it, it, it's just more difficult. So if you can do that, it's always much easier than to do desktop off the back of that rather than the other way around. So, um, yeah, so we're seeing certainly massive demand for mobile. There's without doubt that will continue to increase. Um, and again, hardly sharing anything um, groundbreaking there with you, but 
um, given its importance, it absolutely is core to all of our, our future operations. And again, the second screen experience will also continue to grow that at this um, <laughs> slightly off topic, but at the regulators conference that I was speaking at in November last year, um, there was a virtual reality demonstration and you put your headset on and I haven't ever had a VR um, experience and you put the headset on and other people would go up and you could see what they would say is on a, a big projector screen and you would go in a lift to the top of a um, skyscraper um, and then they had a the people who came into demo, they put a plank of wood down on the carpet and you need to tiptoe um, across it and it was if you were tiptoeing off the top of a, um, a city skyscraper and I thought, oh, this doesn't look that hard and people were genuinely, they were part of my friends, they were shitting themselves. It was re- actually really funny to watch. And I thought, all right, this can't be that hard. So when someone go, one of the demo demonstrators said, I oh, would anyone else like to have a, a go at this? So I was quite quick to put my hands up and thought I'd show um, how much I am. Put the, uh, put the headset on, you sort of, you're in a lift. I go, oh, this is pretty easy. Why was everyone getting so nervous? And then the, um, the lift opens and it's, it literally felt like you're peering off um, the top of a, a skyscraper. And I was sort of poking around with one foot because only willing to put, um, you know, one foot out of this virtual lift that I was in. And after about 30 seconds, I couldn't actually, you know, put two feet out. So I pulled the headset off. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just incredible. So this is a bit of a virtual reality conversation now, but VR is definitely a, something that's massive for the future. I'm absolutely convinced of it. And as soon as um, I had that experience, I had to, had to run off to a meeting about half an hour um, afterwards. And I rang back to Melbourne for the office trail. I said, guys, VR is, you know, in terms of, you know, future opportunities that VR will absolutely smash things. Um, it, it will be incredible. Um, and I think I was still shaking from my experience, even though I hadn't even left this virtual lift. Um, but it was incredible. And, you know, some of the things they're talking about, you know, long-term that you're going to be able to put on a headset, it'll be like you're sitting courtside. Um, that will happen. I've, you know, after actually experiencing, I've got no doubt that will happen. It's probably not even that far away. So um, in terms of something that's not core to our operations because we don't do VR, that is an area I'm absolutely expecting to have massive uplift in um, over the coming years. So when you speak to your clients and your partners out there, are they asking about these types of questions and how they can integrate, whether it is augmented reality or or virtual reality or some of these, you know, emerging trends in the, the next 10 or 15 years, do they want some sort of integrated combined um, sort of platform where they can have, you know, your info hub, they can have the VR if that's the future, or they can have different visualizations or they can have sort of uh, video or those types of things. Is that what they, is that what they're sort of striving to get to? Yeah. We haven't been asked about VR um, as yet off the top of my head in, in any mean that at the moment, um, it's, it's obviously quite different to what we do in sort of sports data analysis, although I think we're at the cutting edge of that. Um, but certainly, you know, we've looked at it internally without giving too much secrets that there's absolutely going to be applications um, for what we do in, in the VR space. Um, and, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> I could go back to in the not too distant future. That's probably a little bit longer term than in the not too distant future, in the somewhat distant future, we'll say. Um, but there's certainly there's an application to enhance um you know, the viewership and, and just the general VR experience with not only what we do at the moment, but some things we're working on that will be released um, a little bit later on. Okay. And what about specifically in, in Europe and I guess Australia uh, with the sports gambling? Have you seen any sort of tech trends there? Because I know a lot of the websites you go on in the gambling world seem to be uh, outdated or not necessarily modern, let's say. Um, some of the live experiences around the world 
could be a lot better. Um, and I guess maybe that's just putting down to that a lot of the people involved are going into digital media outside of gambling. And I certainly here in the US where I live, none of those resources are being put to, to sports gambling technology and things like that necessarily. Uh, have you seen any advancements sort of recently in Australia or Europe at these conferences or, or speaking with clients that have seemed to be, I mean, if you go on a normal website, whether it is some of the big websites in the US or the UK where it's digital sports and broadcast and things like that, they do a lot of fantastic things and it seems like the sports gambling tech uh, industry is a long way behind. So have you seen anything that can be sort of looking forward to positive? Yeah, I mean, look, in terms of um, the the tech in sports betting, there is um, no doubt it's not advances um, sports tech in some in some other sectors. Um, and you think with um, you know you expect to see perhaps some updates, um, you know, with core platforms and all that. And they said there's a lot of work going on, but um, yeah, even some of the big operators, um, yeah, you, it, um, you know, I think there'll be some some tech advances coming out. And there's you know there's there's massive scope to improve the offering based on you know tech advances and. You know, we're part of that. So we're a niche, um, you know, in the wagering sense, we've got a niche platform um, that that integrates into, you know, an operator's platform, um, which is, you know, again, that's how it works with Labroke. So, um, yeah, um, it's an interesting one about, I guess, I guess, the level of advancements that you will see um, in the sports wagering sense. I mean, one of the big buzzwords, particularly coming out of Europe ahead of ICE this year, was personalization. So that's... Um, something that we're very focused on and something that's a big part of our operation about personalising the experience. Um, and there's a lot of scope to do things there. And everyone's talked about it. And we're actually internally only having a chat about it last week. But there's a lot of talk about it, but not a whole lot being done. I mean, there are some things being done, but there's still massive scope, you know, to personalise the experience. So, um, yeah, there are opportunities there. Um, there are... There are lots of things, but personalization in terms, that's probably the one, if you want, you know, I guess a, um, a topic that has come up frequently, that would be um, that would be one of the big ones, I reckon. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, I guess, the overall tech of the platforms that the operator owners had, there's certainly scope for that to um, be modernized a little bit as well. Yep. Okay, one more general question. Um, this is probably a selfish one, but I hear the term big data all the time, whether it's in meetings, whether it's in you know, articles, whether it's at conferences and, and you're a thought leader and you're at all these conferences, so I'm sure you've heard it much more than I have, but what is big data and what does it mean to you and your business? Yeah, big, big data is um, lots of data. So big data is a, it's a big data set. I mean, well, that's how I define it. Others might have, um, uh, you know, other definitions. That's, I guess, you know, with big data sets and the power of modern computing, they become, um, big data sets become more valuable. It's not just the power of computing, but the the models being built to analyze them in conjunction with the, the power, um, you know, modern computers that um, you can get far greater insights. So in terms of what it means to our business, well, it's core to our business that, um, you know, iSport Genius is a big sports data platform. So we've got massive data sets, the amount of you know, data points, it's lots of zeros are going on there. Um, so, you know, we're taking advantage of, you know, I guess, um, the modernization of data um, and the ability of what we're doing with big data perhaps wasn't, you know, you couldn't do it that long ago. Um, so, you know, we're trying to move pretty fast to make sure we're, we're staying ahead of the curve. But, yeah, big data, um, for all the hype, it's real. It's absolutely real. Um, and there are lots of people doing lots of things um, with big data. Um, so, 
I mean, just it wasn't that long ago that um, Google acquired a company called Kaggle, which was founded by um, a chap by the name Anthony Goldblum, who I went to school with. He's also a, a good Carlton supporter. So, um, but all the um, all the big players have a massive interest in big data. There's no doubt about that. So, um, you know, for everyone listening, you you all have a, a Facebook account, but every time you do something, like you're growing Facebook's data set. So they don't have a big data set. They've got a humongous data set. Um, so yeah, uh, big data is the way of the future. If that that isn't intended to come across as a <laughs> scary comment, if it did, so apologies for that. It should actually be, you know, I mean, like with any, um, you know, advanced with technology and you know new features and all that sort of stuff. You know, you got to be careful, and it's not um, all pros without any cons. But it should generally mean that users have a better digital experience. So I like to view it as a positive. Okay, one last question, or maybe a two-part question. What do you read to keep up with or what resources are you using um, to be up to date? Is it just attending conferences and speaking to people and listening to people or are there other other things you do? And also, any advice for those out there who want to get into sports technology, sports data? I mean, in certain respects, it's probably seen as a cool industry at the moment and getting in there would be something they're interested in. So I guess, last question, just those two parts. Yeah, sure. Um, in terms of how I start to... So, uh, look, I try and get to... Um as many conferences as possible that I'm thankfully um, blessed with a couple of fantastic partners. So you mentioned you know, Jared Hopping and Brett Cosgriff and um, Jared who leads our um, product team. So that's obviously pretty important because we're a sports tech product business, if you want to call it that. Um, and he works incredibly hard and does a wonderful job. Um, and also Brett Cosgriff, other partner, again, works exceptionally hard, um, is a um, – a journalist by background, and we actually do a lot of writing, which is almost, you know, old school and um, ironic that we're talking about sports data tech, but it does bring a lot of the the modern tech um, that we do. It brings it together with the, the sports previews that he writes, and he also is a big part of our innovations. He's a very bright guy, a very creative thinker, so really leveraging his strengths, um, which is really good. And, you know, underneath that, it's not even underneath that, that um, as I go off on another side tangent here, that we've got an incredibly um, flat level within our business. So, Alongside, you know, myself, Jared and Brett, um, we've got a wonderful team um, who work exceptionally hard. And why I've gone on this little round, other than I'd like to give them um, wherever I get the opportunity some recognition for the wonderful work they do, both in terms of their ethic and the quality of their work, um, is it allows me to go to these conferences. So whether it's, you know, Europe or within Australia, um, it, you know, at this regulated conference in November that was here up in Sydney, um, but there's a sports data conference um, sports analytics conference should say in a big one in Melbourne um, in August which I'll be speaking at which is only a, a couple of months away so that's always good because you get to meet different people I said from different backgrounds and that's I found a really good way of learning things that you know I'm always you know online so you know LinkedIn or you know just googling things that things come up and things get emailed around so that's I guess the, the second part of the question it's not just conferences but what the conferences do leach is often good information being um circulated around and also we've got a fantastic um guy in europe by the name of lee richardson who's well known over there who often um circulates a lot of um really good information um you know coming out of london and really all of europe so that's particularly valuable so stuff in australia that i wouldn't necessarily um be looking at um i'll often find when i wake up in the morning you know an email or two about there's been this development whether it's a an operator doing something or a new feature that's come out or a new supply that's you know making a bit of noise so so that's always handy uh, and other than that away from the the wagering space um i think i just like reading the back page of the, the herald sun here don't 
don't criticize me for that, but I do enjoy um, <laughs> reading the sports section. Um, and that's always interesting because our business already, it's not just wagering focus, sorry, wagering focus, I'd like to make that clear, but sort of doing non-wagering things is becoming increasingly important. So reading the sort of stuff that you know, your average um, sports consumer is reading and seeing what's out there, that's actually really important. So um, again, it comes back to the, the comment that, um, I'm not a good litmus test for what society wants. I'm probably about the worst litmus test you could imagine. So seeing sort of what sort of content is um, being well received, that, that's really important to us because it helps us keep a gauge on, on what the demand is for and then that will naturally dictate, you know, some of the things that we then go out and build. Fantastic. Uh, where can any listeners find you, find uh, your business online? What's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, no, good one. Um, go geniustechgroup.com, so G-E-N-I-U-S-T-E-C-H-G-R-O-U-P.com. Jake, you're a lawyer. Tell me if I spelt that correctly. Yeah, that'll do. Google always works anyway. Yeah, uh, you could, um, so, you know, um, then you could probably give um, those who are listening in a good opportunity to see some of the things that we're up to that always, um, it's hard to explain via an audio interview, um, you know, tech products and some of the really cool things you're doing in a digital sense. So by all means, I encourage everyone to go out and check Genius Tech Group. You can read a little bit more about me and, and my partners and some of the management team um, who form our business. And other than that, if, you've, if I've somehow got the domain name wrong, uh, you can Google me um, and I'll be on LinkedIn and I'm more than happy to chat to people. So if someone is out there listening and they just want to have a chat, um, by all means, get in touch. That, um, as I said, it's something I really enjoy just speaking to new people and um, yeah, hearing different stories from around the world. Splendid. Nathan, thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it and I'll definitely have you back on again soon. So yeah, Excellent. good luck for the, the rest of the uh, the year with the business and uh, thanks a lot for your time. No worries. Thanks very much for having me, Jake.